0: Oh, wait, they're going to sue me. Play it.
1: Hey, all the crazy sci-fi fans. Time for your daily dose of insanity over here at the Sci-Fi Shenanigans Podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions. A place where the sky's the limit, space is a place, and nerds run the world. Without further ado...
0: All right, welcome back to another episode of the Sci-Fi Shenanigans podcast. So, uh, Winder couldn't be here again, but uh, we'll, we'll push for, uh, forward. We've brought on another veteran as co-host for this crazy podcast. Uh, like I said, Winder has some stuff come up, so he won't be here, but he's as thrilled as I am. He's not leaving the show, and nobody fired him. We just sent him to a 12-step detox program for his crayon addiction. All jokes aside, he's just uh, taking care of some personal things, and my son has needed me a lot lately. As I've mentioned before, They they both have special needs um so we thought you know we didn't want to slow down the podcast from our once a week we wanted to keep the shenanigans going so a co-host seemed like the perfect solution uh we went looking and uh one of the criteria was we wanted them to be a veteran as well so i asked my friend uh and fellow sci-fi nerd casey azelle if she knew anyone and she didn't hesitate to recommend doc seska um she's not an author just a rabid reader of the genre so uh so here we are. I already said how I first um first found her through Casey. But Casey, how did you first meet Seska? So
2: I met Seska uh like I meet so many wonderful people at Dragon Con for the first time. Um my uh, uh my friend Ginger actually introduced me to her. And I think it was within the context of um a room party um that was that's thrown every year by my uh by our mutual friend um, uh, speaker, uh, also known as uh, Dr. Rob Hampson. He uh, he gets a suite at uh, the Hilton every year for Dragon Con and opens it up for a couple of parties. And I believe it was at one of those that I first met Seska. Is that is that right, Seska? Or was it Liberty Con?
3: No, it was at Dragon Con, actually. Um, somebody said something about being female in the military. And I answered and you kind of gave me this look and I looked at gender and I went, Well, I don't think that person's ever gonna want to talk to me again and she goes Oh
2: (laughs) (laughs) no. It was (laughs) it was probably a look of oh that's cool. I would like to meet that person. Um I I didn't
3: know I couldn't really interpret it because I mean it's Dragon Con, so people get tired and also there's so much noise that it it can sometimes be hard to know also what people heard.
2: Sure, yeah for sure. For sure. I also have like the, the world's worst case of RBF, um, so I, uh, I look really <laughs> angry when I don't mean to.
3: <laughs> I have foot and mouth disease.
0: <laughs> Guilty. <clears throat> <laughs> but but uh, everyone that knows and loves me just rolls their eyes. Uh, he did it again. So, all, <laughs> all right, dear listener, let, let's get this uh, party started. So, Seska, the religion question, Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly? Star Trek. What? I don't know. Interesting. Oh,
3: interesting. Uh, I mean, uh, Star Trek. <laughs> I would, I would, okay, so Star Trek was my first media exposure to sci-fi, and I was a ripe young, like six-year-old, and would tell people I wanted to be a captain in Starfleet. So after that, you know, it just. Kind of had to continue. Plus, one of my best friends looks like James Avery to the point people have mistaken them, and doesn't help that he wears a Starfleet uniform. <laughs> All
0: right, so, so if you're captaining a starship in Starfleet, with uh, which one?
3: Oh, I think the Defiant would be the best.
0: Justify um, your answer, madam.
3: Because it's a combat ship, and it's got it's got um, stealth capabilities. Shields is one of the toughest ships in the fleet.
0: I, I thought you were going to have like a cool answer, like it's the only ship that's replicator will make beer. But, I mean, I guess <laughs> I guess we'll it. take combat ship. I
3: mean, it's only got one holodeck, but it's not a long-term generational ship like the Enterprise. And Voyager obviously has some navigational issues, so. You know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, note to self, don't drink coke while she's talking cuz I almost choked. Thanks. But um Anytime. But you you knew you knew that it wasn't a serious warship when when the captain goes Earl Grey, hot. Come on. Oh no, that is a, a serious, serious, serious When they
3: have a daycare facility.
0: <laughs> well, that's too, but Flying
3: post. <laughs> it's got everything an army post has. It's a mobile flying post, and that's fine for an exploration or a diplomatic missions and stuff like that. But the defiance where it's at, because that ship is badass. Can I say that? Because <laughs> it definitely is. You,
0: you can now. <laughs> so, all right. So, so what is it you love about the genre of science fiction?
3: I love the possibilities of it. It's a great way to um, – propose a world and changes that are less that might be scary and kind of revolutionary at the time that the science fiction is being made but really 10 5 10, five, 10 years later aren't and it's it's very hopeful to me i like hopeful sci-fi even mill sci-fi that's ho- hopeful i i like those because you know most of them we figured out a way to pull our head out of our four points of contact and and work as a collective race in a lot of cases, and I like that too. But I think it's honestly, it can be used as a social change. I mean, when Highline wrote Starship Troopers and women were combat pilots, it was revolutionary. But now it's really much more common, and I love that. So it was a way of showing a change to people where because it's in a fictional environment, it's a little less scary.
0: What he gets more credit for with that one is the uh, the Juan Rico being um, not white because he was Filipino. Yeah,
3: so. and he also had female infantrymen. So, I mean.
0: True, true. I
3: love that. But. So, but I think that, I think I come to the. I always remember the female pilots cause I had somebody try and argue with me that it was proof that he was sexist. And I went, it's not proof he was sexist. Not if you think about it in the time frame in which it was written.
2: Oh, because they, because uh, I, I've heard that argument. It was, it was because um, he, I forget how he phrased it, but he basically implied that, that women were better as pilots. Um, and the majority of the women in fleet uh, in the starship troopers, You know, universe or whatever, Um, the majority of the pilots were women. Um, And I've seen that where they're like, well, why do they have to be women? How come they can't be infantry and and mobile infantry? Um, Which was, again, ridiculous because he did have female mobile infantry characters. But um, yeah, I always thought that was funny too. It was like, oh, okay. So that's sexist, huh? <laughs> that's a new that's a new that's a new new word for me, well, I guess. <laughs>
3: so, uh, bear in mind, I also just got my second degree in chemistry, so I've been around a lot of young college age students. So and they have a very different mm-hmm. view sometimes. Indeed. <clears throat>
2: so, um, uh, I have a question, real quick. So, you said that you're the first show you ever watched. Um, in sci-fi was Star Trek um, what about like reading or or playing games or movies what what were your earliest sci-fi exposures in those um, genres
3: um or media I guess I would say that the Rowan actually by Anne McCaffrey was the book that started it all for me it's um mm-hmm. sci-fi and it was my, my mom pulled a net. She thought I was faking being sick. So she handed me the, the book and she goes, you can watch TV. Once you've read the first chapter, the first chapter is over 150 pages because the entire book is only like three chapters. <laughs> yeah. My mom thought dirty, but it won. Um, and so that was really, I was in either fifth or sixth grade at the time. And that had me hooked. Um, as for within gaming, um, I'm trying to think, I'm really the result of what happens when gamers breed. So I'm trying to think what the first m- sci-fi. Yeah. <laughs> I really am though. <laughs> <laughs> um, in uh, so I don't know. I mean, I grew up playing StarCraft and Warcraft. I grew up with D and D manuals. My brother actually learned how to read on the first yeah. gen D and D manuals because he's
1: he's not cute.
3: dyslexic and um, or LD, so he's a little special child with that in my family. Um, but yeah, I I just grew up around it. It was in everything that I did, the science fiction and fantasy around me. And my mom would look at people like when I was little and I was answering, I wanted to be in Starfleet and they'd go, well, don't you want her to have realistic goals? And my mom would go, how do you think we're going to get something like Starfleet if we don't have kids who want that?
2: That's cool. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. So what do you, so, you know, you mentioned that, that, I mean, obviously science fiction had a large presence in your family. Um, what do you think has the largest, influence on on which science fiction subgenres like you choose to read today you know is it what you grew up with or is it um something else in your life
3: um I would say now I have lots of friends who are authors now and so some of that is because I want to see the work that they've created uh so sometimes I will pick up a book that may not have been my cup of tea when I started um but all my friends loved and raved about that. Uh, the black tide rising series was actually that for me because I don't do zombies or zombie like things at all, except for that one universe. Sure. Um, and, uh, yeah. but I'd say a lot of it's the story. Uh, I'll look at the story, the background and see if it's something that I, I want or jive. I think I'm still very story driven. Um, or characters that I can identify with, or sometimes they are characters. Mm-hmm. There's one series, um, Jody Lynn Nine writes the. It starts with um, View of the Imperium, and um, I yes. actually uh-huh. I picked it up to read it because well Jody wrote it and she's a good friend, but I kept reading it because I actually hated the main character at first, and I actually told her that I hate. I'm like I hated that character at the beginning of the book. But I grew to loving that character because the character grew and changed. And one of my favorite lines in the book about the series is when he goes, this friend goes, where, why are you here? And he goes, I'm learning to be useful.
0: <laughs> so, hmm. No, I just say that's always a good reason to be somewhere. So, uh, before we transition, the um, when you you've mentioned that you have a lot of friends that are authors and that you read because they've written the book. Have you ever read a book written by a friend and be like, "Dude, these people are seriously effed up and they need lots of therapy"?
3: Um, can I plead the fifth? Yeah, uh, yes, I have, um, <laughs>
0: and
3: uh, yeah, I, I have. And um, and I think I kind of politely told them that I ne- they needed to expand their worldview and get some experiences, and that I would really like them to uh, I'd like to help them choose which experience they went for. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, so uh, we're, we're going to assume that that was not the case for when you read uh, Casey's uh, Hunter stuff in the no, Four Horsemen universe. No, no,
3: no, It was not <laughs> actually anything, any time in the last four or five years. And the person was somebody I'd known for a very long time. And um, my, my brother looked at me and he goes, wow, was that ever well said and so well put and politely.
0: So if if there was anything in Hunter that you thought man these people are insane you could always blame Marissa since she's not here.
3: I thought Hunter was beautifully well done. Um I think that there's I I don't want to give too much away but um there's some very distinctly female viewpoints that I'm not sure anybody who hasn't dealt with some of those kind of issues um a, about like continuing a species and everything that honestly I was, I was so blown away with how they dealt with it and without it, it's, it would, it's a very emotional issue. So it's very easy for it to bring down the book, but it was dealt with well and without ruining the pace of the book and still giving those emotions their due. It's very hard to say that anything on it without giving it away.
0: So, so Casey, did you? Uh, I know you popped out because you're the the connection lost for a second. But did you hear the question? Uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> so I, I asked, she had mentioned because she read some of her friend's books. I asked her if she ever read her friend's book, and was like, "Ooh, these people are seriously insane, and they need therapy." <laughs> so so that's what you walked back into, and that's why I said that anything wrong with uh, with Hunter that made her think that she can always assume Marissa was the crazy one. <laughs> I think she
2: knows better. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, transitioning from the reading side of things for a little bit, let's delve into the fandom streak. Um, so have you um, sent any cool fan art or done some sweet cosplay for any of your favorite characters yet?
3: A couple years ago when Pokemon Go came out, I did a Candela cosplay, which um, for those of you who are not uber geeky, that is the leader mm. of the Red Fraction. So, um, I made my Viking spawn become red team because I went, if I'm doing a Candela cosplay, I have to be part of her team. So, he didn't get to vote for his favorite color of blue for our team. It's red. (laughs) Sometimes mom
2: just decides.
3: (laughs) I told him, he looks at me and he goes, But I voted. And I went, Welcome to the beloved dictatorship of mom.
0: That's right. That's right. I've heard that before (laughs) in my life as well. Some things are universal.
3: Yeah. So, I'm I'm looking at doing another cosplay. Uh I only really go to one Dragon Con and that where there's co- a lot of cosplay and at Dragon Con I'm normally working, so I have to balance my cosplay with actually um being accessible to people. So, as somebody told me, I can't wear a mask the first year as a dire- as a director. I'm like, but I- they don't need to know who I am.
0: <laughs> I, was, I, was, I
3: was told I was wrong.
0: I was going to ask what unaccessible cosplay would be, but apparently masks is the limit. Okay, good to know. That's what I was told. <sighs> so, um,
2: uh, have you ever... So I know that you are friends with a lot of, a lot of your favorite authors. You're friends with a lot of my favorite authors. Um, <laughs> what, uh, ha- have you ever done, like, have you ever tracked anyone down to get an autograph of a favorite author or anything like that?
3: I tracked down. So, um, Corporal Foss, who you've, uh, her first name is Brooke. I, I tracked down Christopher Pelini at Dragon Con to get him to sign up a, a gift for her. And, um, so and that that was funny because she's for he is like Anne is for me sure. for her sure is what and um and the funny thing is I only had I for I I only had one book in my hand when I finally got tracked him down and it was the book it was um, Black Tide Rising so. I had him sign Black Tide Rising for her. <laughs>
2: you had Christopher Polini sign John Ringo's book.
3: <laughs> By the way, he loved it. He thought it was hilarious. He'd actually remembered me. Brock has incredibly distinctive hair now that she's out. Uh-huh. And he remembered doing a signing in Alaska and signing her books. Uh-huh. And then, um, but he's also a huge Black Tide Rising fan.
2: Yeah, that's funny. <laughs>
3: And um, so he was like, uh, this is hilarious. And then it was funny because I took it to the mass f- signing and I made everybody sign it, including the editor and Tony. And then, then John goes, why is Bellini's signature in here? <laughs> like, <laughs> We're in the middle of a signing. I'll explain it later.
2: <laughs> That's funny. That's funny.
3: Um, so, so You signed think- it that year, actually.
2: Oh uh, yeah, is, did I?
3: <laughs> because uh, you you were like, well, who is this? And she's pro. I think you and her are kind of tied for biggest badasses in my life. Oh, again, you're being kind, but thank so, you. So <laughs> um, she she's got combat spurs from her time as a tanker medic and uh-huh. stuff like that. So I mean, she's awesome and amazing. Yeah. legit.
0: Yeah, and, for sure. And tankers are okay. They're almost infantry. <laughs> <laughs>
3: They just don't like to put their feet on the ground.
0: Death before dismount and well, all that. I
3: mean, come on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: um,
2: so, I, other than other than at a con, um, because obviously I know that you are heavily involved with Dragon Con, and so you interact with authors all the time there. Um, have you ever uh, have you ever spotted uh, a favorite author out in the wild, as it were?
3: Um. No, I haven't. My first Dragon Con, I ended up in line behind one of my favorite authors before I, um, was involved with Dragon Con at all. I'd only been at Dragon Con for two hours. Uh And, um, that's actually how I met Todd was I ended, we ended up in line behind him. And my friend who dragged me to Dragon Con, her family kind of collectively kidnapped me that year for my first Dragon Con. Um, Look, and I'm like, I'm like, don't you do it. And she tapped him on the shoulder and she goes, she won't talk to you, but she wants to. And, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. And
2: that's how you met Todd McCaffrey.
3: Yes. We were standing that's in line awesome. for a panel and we were right behind him.
2: That's awesome. He's he's such a nice guy. I can totally see him uh, being like, Well, hello. <laughs> you
3: know, we stayed up to like four o'clock in the morning talking and we did dinner. And that's actually how I met Jody. And Jody and Bill came over and sat down and we all ate. And I looked at him after they left and I went, you know, I'd really love to meet Jody Lynn 9 one day and he went, you just did. I'm like, but but what? And I, I just kind of like, you you should have told me that.
0: See, I I have it on good authority that all the fun stuff at Dragon Con happens at the bar after the panels end.
2: (laughs) All the fun stuff at Dragon Con happens everywhere at Dragon Con. (laughs) You can't go anywhere at Dragon Con without fun stuff happening.
3: (laughs) You're not having fun at Dragon Con. I think it's honestly either something is really, 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 really crazy, like level 20 on a scale of 1 to 10 bad in your life, or you're just dead set on not having fun.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a pretty wild time. It's a pretty wild time. Um, have you, so what's like the, the weirdest or funniest interaction that you've ever had with a favorite author?
3: Um, I don't, I I do remember one time. So, um, I was in college and Todd called me and he, the first words out of his mouth were, I'm sorry, but I had to do it. <laughs> to which I have two r- brothers who are um if you I think you've met my brothers Casey, but anybody have, yeah. you can definitely tell that we are all came from the same source. Um, yeah. so <laughs> the first words that I came that came to mind were what did you do? Um and then he goes I, I made you into a character on Pern because I just couldn't resist. Oh, okay, that's acceptable.
2: <laughs> that's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah.
3: Um, the werewolf. I'm
2: going to have to go back and reread reread Todd's books and see if I can find you. Dragon's
3: Kin, <laughs> uh, chapter 14. My mother read that, looked at me, and she goes, he knows you really well. <laughs> that's awesome. So, I'm like, I don't know what to say about that, Mom. Oh, I'm just going to over here but um yeah so i would say that one was one of the funnier ones because you don't think of going what did you do to a best-selling author who's older than you
2: and going right right like
3: they're like they're your younger brother and they're you're going to have to like flay them or something Uh.
0: (laughs) that it's one way to get internet famous though if you filmed it and put it online i'm just yeah um (laughs)
3: <laughs> there was one time where a couple years ago when, um, before I actually knew John rather well, I went to his, uh, he was on a panel about writing villains. And I, I open up my bag and I pull out um, booze. And Bill Fawcett decides to razz me and he goes, you're going to pull booze out in front of John and not offer him some?
2: <laughs> like, <it's> all, okay. <laughs> that's a legitimate question. That's a legitimate question.
3: John looked at him like I'm going to beat his you. Food. He did not want more, apparently.
2: Well, <laughs> if it was Dragon Con, he probably had quite a bit the night. It before. was
0: Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So one of these days you're gonna be at a con and you're gonna have like this empty jack bottle and you're just gonna pour tea in it so no one knows and just chug it straight out of the bottle the whole time and they're gonna be like, dude, that's hardcore. I could see it. Yeah, nobody would look. Nobody would blink twice at drinking. No. I
3: actually <laughs> did that on a school trip with uh, some Ks. I went to. Well, I was on a study abroad trip, and uh, I let them think that I was drinking way more than I was, just so they. <laughs> let me and and I would routinely do that. Actually, in the army, being the only female medic in the barracks and an E four, I would get a lot of people knocking on my door, like staff duty CQ, and cause, and so I took to having an empty beer bottle by the door to open it after I was just done with dealing with people for the day, whether or not I'd been drinking because they'd see the beer bottle and then they'd leave me alone.
0: Yeah. Cause you can't report to duty yeah. if you're intoxicated. That's brilliant. I just got married and left the barracks, but you know, the beer I angle might've been, might've been cheaper in the long run. <laughs> 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 I, I joke. I joke. I love my wife. Probably less fun. Probably less fun. But, well, I'm glad that
3: our, worked out for you. Most barracks marriages don't work out. So,
0: I, I kid, I kid. We, we were actually dating before, before then, but, but that's not as fun of a story. No, it's not. Right, for sure. So, for so sure. this is the uh, moment, dear listener, where we pause and we shamelessly shill for the man. So please bear with us for this commercial interlude.
1: Magnus watched as the three Jujari warriors stood up on their hind legs and drew their swords. The good news, he thought, is there aren't more. The bad news was that he didn't want his MAR30's report attracting any more contact, but he highly doubted he'd be able to beat the enemy without his primary weapon. He lowered his blaster's output, deployed the spring-loaded bayonet below the muzzle, and then pulled his serrated combat blade from behind his chest plate. "'Aewyn!' Magnus yelled. "'I want you to run!' "'What?! RUN!' Hey, this is Christopher Hopper, author of the Ruins of the Galaxy novels. If you love a good adventure that mixes space opera and military sci-fi, then I think you'll love book one in my new series entitled The Eve of War. It's available on Kindle at just 99 cents for a limited time. Books two and three are also set to release in the next two months. So if you're looking for your next sci-fi binge, you've come to the right place. Visit RuinsOfTheGalaxy.com or check out the books on Amazon for an adventure you won't forget. This is Christopher. See you in the ruins.
0: All right. Welcome back to the Sci-Fi Shenanigans podcast. And we're back with uh, our new co-host where we're letting you get to meet her. Um, So this is the part um, where of the introduction or the interview, I should say, where I would normally tell you about what the guest has written. But as we said, Seska isn't an author. She's even cooler. She's an Uber fan. So instead, why don't you tell us, Seska, about your top five books or series and why they are special to you?
3: Well, as I covered earlier, The Roan will always be special to me because it's the book that really got me into reading. Um, And uh, I don't – it was the first character I ever read that I really identified with, and I think that's why. Um, Plus, I mean, telepaths and teleporting, what's not to like? Um, I really like the Honor Harrington series. It's – Honor of the Queen is my favorite of all time. that's just kind of the character as a female, particularly female in the military. You want you'd want to, you'd want to em, emulate. I have so many that keep coming to mind, and it's really
0: <laughs> it's hard, hard to, to choose <laughs>
3: any of them as a favorite. Um, I love Mercedes Lackey's Valdemar world. Of, world. It's just beautifully constructed, where it's all very diffuse because she wrote it in trilogies for the most part. But it all still ties together and it's just beautifully thought out and created. And the characters are ones that you connect with, even if you don't like them sometimes. Um, So Louise McMaster-Bajold, her Miles-Vercostican saga is just awesome. And each story is unique and different. And um, it was the first time she has a character... That when he dies, you just kind of he, he's he's done a lot of stuff that throughout the series, particularly as a woman, that I'm like he should die. He really should. But you also understand that he is just so broken and so damaged that even though he did those horrible things, he does didn't really understand he was being horrible. And when he does die, you cr- I cried. Her characters are so real and so well rounded. It, it's insane. And um, and I love that, and and she uses a sense of humor with it to keep it from getting too crazy. And it's it's a shame in some ways because that character actually dies, but you he- see echoes of him throughout the series. But he dies in like the third book of the series. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, Sergeant Barathe. He he um he's in Cordelia's Honor, which is actually an omnibus of two books, and then he dies in um, the Warrior's Apprentice. He he is probably one of my favorite tragic characters. Honestly, so hard for me to pick just five.
0: Um, I mean, you could list more. We were, We won't stop um, you.
3: I just, I I liked the Anita Blake series. I thought that was really neat. Um, particularly because I was reading it as I started reading it as a junior, um, in high school. So. There is some definite character development that I would definitely say influenced how I view uh, personal dynamics, and because uh, there's a lot of that in her books. Um, and in some ways, it was great to read it because that meant I didn't have to experience and make those same mistakes or not mistakes.
2: Yeah, sure, sure.
3: Uh, I love Elizabeth Moon, and um, really and truly, she does some great stuff. The Deeds of Paxandria are amazing. I really like her um, kind of YA mill SF, the uh, Vada saga. So, um, but she did a book and not a lot of people have read it. That just has influenced my life in every way, um, which is the speed of dark. It's actually found in the literature section, but it's a world where she deals with how do you, Is it right to force medication on people for a mental disorder or a genetic disorder, force a treatment on them, even if they don't want it, as well as what is disorder and what is personality? And I, I I can never keep the book in stock because I buy it and immediately give it to people because I'm like, you need to read this. I've probably bought like five to 10 copies of it since it came out in the early 2000s. I grew up in the special needs community as well as the fandom community. And one of the things her character is dealing with is autism. And he talks about how he has these personality quirks, but they're just personality quirks. But some, but he will occasionally work with a therapist who has decided like the fact that he likes fencing and that it's fun means he's violent or the fact that he doesn't like to go to movie theaters because they're crowded and there's so many smells and noises that he's labels him antisocial it's not these are just personality quirks so where does disorder begin in personality and like and sometimes it's just personality even when sometimes it's disorder and where do we chalk them up and i think it's just beautiful i tell people if you read the first 15 pages of that book and think about it then you've gotten your money's worth out of it
0: that sounds really interesting it does i'm I'm gonna have to check that out so now this is this is also important to note that, that given that we're all about the same age, and, <clears throat> 20, um, that uh, we, we remember when it was hard to find, like, if there was a book, two in a series, you had to look for it. I mean, we're talking Dewey Decimal System and in, in, in the card catalog if you w- really wanted to, to look for that next book. Even, even today, you'll still see vestigials of that on Amazon where some of the books you like – like, I, I love the Sharp series, but if you look at any one of the books – like they're not linked to Amazon, like, like a modern author would modern author, like a, you know, the newer authors would do today where you like them. Like you have to dig title by title and really want it. Yep. So, so this yeah. is dedication. Yeah, no, I right had to do
3: that with the Verkossigan saga yeah. and like, li- and custom order them. And my brother was like, I'm going to borrow and keep that. I'm like, you yeah. better bring that book back. Cause I had to hunt that thing down.
2: Yep. I can remember haunting the bookstores, um, on, uh, Uh, haunting the bookstores, the Stars and Stripes bookstores on Clark Airbase when I was a kid, like waiting for the next book in in whatever series I was reading. I don't even remember. But like every week I'd be like, mom, can we go to the bookstore? Mom, can we go to the bookstore? And she was like, Casey, it's not out yet. It it didn't matter. I had to go. I had to check because I needed it, you know?
3: (laughs) Okay. So I'm going to date myself. And actually I just clicked. One of those things that happens sometimes for me is if I remember you from one situation, I tend to forget that you know, like the entire Jody's that Jody. Right. So we had a media play by my house and I got really lucky because one of the guys who he kind of oversaw the, the book section of media play is an author, James A. Moore. And, um, he's, he's done some YA. He, he's written a lot of horror, but the series that he has right now, that's really taken off his fantasy. But, he was great at always helping me with that and indulging me and, fi- and helping me find more books than just, cause I, my mom is such a voracious reader. I really wanted to find a book and read it. That one that she hadn't read already. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I, I know.
2: I know that. I know how that goes too. Cause same situation. My mom's a, a huge reader as well.
0: Yeah, my, my mother is as well, and that's what saved me from all the boring English teachers that make you almost hate the written word because they give you the most boring stuff to read, and then you know they tell you, oh, this is there, and it's like sometimes a book is just a book. Can't we just enjoy it? <laughs> no,
2: the curtains. But were anyway, blue. yeah, so the I, curtains I, were effing blue. <laughs>
0: Sometimes a blue curtain is just a blue curtain, and a cigar is just a cigar. Absolutely, absolutely. But uh, there's a funny story, and I don't know if it's true, but one of the I've heard it was with Frost, but I've heard it attributed to other authors. Where he sat in on a class, and they were asking him about what this meant or that meant, and it was the no, the curtains were just blue because I like the color blue, (laughs) because that's where they came up with this alternative theory in the English departments, where well, the author might not know they meant fill in the blank exactly, but subconsciously, yeah, yeah, so. Yeah,
2: that's, that's always funny. You know, I did my, um, I I did my undergrad in, uh, or sorry, not my undergrad, but my graduate work in creative writing because I needed a master's degree so I could continue to be a pilot. Um, And, uh, uh, you know, that whole concept of meaning exists in the mind of the reader. It's true. Meaning does exist in the mind of the reader. um, But it's really funny what meanings sometimes the readers will assign to completely innocuous, completely innocuous things like that it's like no man blue is just my favorite color i made the curtains blue because because i like blue (laughs) all
0: right right, so uh well back with doc so with that in mind (laughs) let's talk about what you look for in a main character of a book that you like so what is it that makes the the character the the real person in air quotes that is the main character click for you and makes you care what happens to them
3: well, I think first they have to be rounded. I can't stand flat characters. I really don't connect with them. Um, because well, nobody's really a flat character when you get down into knowing them. And uh, what do you mean by what do you mean by flat character uh, so, or,
2: or rounded character? Okay. Can you give us an example.
3: Yeah, I, I'm surprised. You you have the master's degree, and that was what my my English teacher used those terms all the time. Are you making me? I know what I mean. I want to know what you mean. So a flat <laughs> character is just a person without the depth. They they're there really for like one purpose. Um, children's books are filled with them. You know. Well, I'm just a flat character. I really just I just think the world is blue, and I just think that like pig the. Um, the, the pig and the three little pigs, they're flat characters, you know? Sure. And then rounded characters are ones with the depths. They have flaws. They have interests. They have motivations. They have things they need to work on. They have blind spots. Um, I did a paper all about um, when I was in high school on Mercedes, lackeys, arrows of the queen. And that character that book was just really novel because when it came out, it was one of the early books kind of directed for the for young adults, even though it wasn't really a young adult genre because there wasn't a genre yet for that. And it was, I think, a bestseller, even though it was like her first book. And uh, because it was not a flat character, that character, she struggles with the fact that she's had stuff hidden from her all of her life that she thinks that she's just a girl and she has all these limitations that she shouldn't be able to do, but she's learning that she can do them. She should do them. And being true to yourself is following what you're good at and doing the right thing, even if it's not always comfortable. So, and I loved that. And she struggles with, you know, she, she starts off the world, the book and, um, thinking that her purpose in life is to have babies. And even though she loves to read and everybody around her is like, girls should not read. And then she learns that the ruler of her kingdom is actually a female. Like that, even that's been hidden from her really by her parents. And um, that even though she loves her family, she doesn't love how they brought her up. And so those are all things in the series of Valdemar, she deals with some of those. And That's so really she, cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you mentioned, uh, you know, you
2: mentioned this earlier. Um, the the one particular character in uh, in the Vorkosigan series. Um, uh, what about other like secondary characters? You know, what what makes a secondary character or a sidekick um, especially memorable to you?
3: Um. I think if there's something standout-ish about them, like um, Scotty Tremaine in the David Weber series, he's he always stuck out. because wh- Well, honestly, when I was younger, I thought he would be really cute and fun to date. That's one reason he stuck out. <laughs> I really
2: I'll be honest. <laughs> I mean, I had a crush on Les's son, so you know I can't 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 argue with you. So,
3: You know, I'm sorry, guys. We can't just blame Disney anymore for having really great examples of males. Um, so, um, you no, know, I I actually had a, a, a more of a crush on Les's partner than on the son, but I can understand that too. He was very cutie. Um, yeah. I'm sure somebody is rolling their eyes. <laughs> oh,
2: for sure. For but
3: sure. um but I think if there's something where there's a connection to the character or they just show a different type of character in the in the universe, you know, Scotty's everybody in the RMN is very serious and he is very much scrappy he he's bonded yeah. to this senior nco who is like cr- old and crusty and is like don't do what i did kid and he's like but you're awesome right yeah
2: i i enjoyed that dynamic between so, those two as well yeah, yeah.
3: and i think yeah. it, they have to have their almost their own personality and their own story to them to be really quality side characters um uh, if they're just there to be a foil they're they get kind of boring
0: sure sure so how about how about then so hold, hold. did you ever did you ever watch the uh xena warrior princess as a kid because i grew up watching hell
3: yeah watching she was amazing
0: so so would you count gabriel is flat or would she be standoutish to you is as an example that people can have seen
3: she transforms she starts out to me as very kind of flat and she gets more depth as she experiences things in life um and so and at one point there there's a point in the series where you could almost do the series off of her because she becomes complex enough and that's really great. Um actually there's um and I've I think I've joked with Jody in her um view of the Imperium series there's a character who he's almost a side character to he's like the valet of the main character I really want that story guy's story. Like that is the perfect sidekick. Cause I'm almost like, okay, you have all these points where you disappear and you go on this secret mission. I want that story, dude. That, that makes like a great side character. When you look at them and you're like, I want your story as like a novella or a short story, at least if that makes sense. Okay. it sure. does. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Absolutely. Um, and, and so it's it's funny that you mentioned that because I feel that way about villains a lot of time. Like, you know, as somebody once said to me, every villain is also the hero of their own story. And I feel like a lot of times I want to be like, well, you know, what? why are you the way that you are? Why are you such a bad guy? What, you know, in what way does this behavior make you the, vill- the hero of your own story? Um, tell me about your favorite villains and what makes you love to hate
3: them? Ooh, I think, um, well, the peeps are one of my favorite villains because you know, David Weber on Harrington, but it's not all of them. It's it's when they're doing the committee of public safety that I really, and, and the ones at the beginning of the, of the series, I really hate them because I think they embody the worst of where society could go and they're yeah. so indulgent and in that they don't care. The The top really doesn't care what happens anymore. They've been rightly or wrongly entrusted and they've delivered over generations and they've deliberately steered their society into this gilded cage format. And I really hate that. Um, and then, um, uh, I think in the Ringo's uh, "Here Be Dragons," there will be dragons saga. Um, yeah. The villains in that are he has a couple villains that are just like there's just one that just wants to make everybody suffer and like do yeah. crazy, stupid, illegal spa- experiments. And yeah, that
2: one chick. Yeah, yeah,
3: she's yeah, you know,
2: she's she's scary.
3: Um, yeah, and then there, but like the villain that I both love and I'm also like, you're just too impatient, dude. And you got to like, think about it from all the other perspectives Is the one who kind of organizes all the, and he, mm-hmm. he goes a little nutty because he's like, I want to save humanity and I want to do it by stripping away all the technology. But he refuses to listen to people who are like, actually the birthright is on the rise. It's just really slow because we are living a lot longer, dude. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, I think that the, he's kind of like the epitome of maybe every teenager. I want something, but I'm not going to listen to you. I'm just going to run straight into this wall repetitively and make right. everybody Until else go along with yeah. me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then there's the demon who just wants sheer chaos. Um, <laughs> so I, I think I, what I like is that in that universe, there's such a variety of villain. Yeah. Too. So because yeah, sure. they all bond together to be villainous, even though they're for very different reasons. What
2: about, um, what about like technology, you know, what, what kind of, what kind of technology do you like to see? And how does that, you know, you seem very focused on the character piece of the story. How does, how does, how do those two things intersect well for you?
3: I like it when tech is fluid to the story. Um, there is, you know, I, I after a certain point I will go, I am done reading. Yes, she threw a lot of missiles at him. Way to go. I mean, I, I like I like knowing it. I like seeing that that depth that it's a completely thought-out universe. And um I definitely like in like the Here Be Dragons that the tech kind of disappears very early on because that tech level was just too easy. Um, I, I like how, um, and David Weber's, he shows that the need to find, find a way to fix a problem drives the development of the technology, whether that problem be the fact that you have a small population base and the need for a lot of ships because you have a lot of border to protect. So it drives the automation and it drives how, because that's really how tech works. If you look at, um, occupational therapy, occupational therapy was non-existent before the world, any of the world wars. And then there was a leap forward after world war one. And then another leap forward in this rehabilitative medicine field after world war two, when we had all of these people coming back injured and then Vietnam. And then again, post during desert storm, well, not really so much Desert Storm 1, but um, during the War on Terror, we've seen it again. We're having massive leaps in rehabilitative medical technology, med- medical treatments because of a need. And need really does de- drive the development of technology, whether it's being agricultural. I mean, we've seen the same thing with how we deal with... um the rice that they're growing in India, and people can say what they want about GMOs. Yes, there's some good things, there's some bad things, but we have a lot of people who wouldn't be eating if it weren't for them. And so that need to, you know, sustain a population has driven technology throughout history. And I loved that David really shows that very well. Even though sometimes I'm like, yeah, David, I get it. Big missiles, big booms, got it. I was reading his Safehold series, and I I went. I don't need to learn how. If I wanted to learn how to sail a boat, I would take sailing classes. I want to read a story.
2: (laughs) So, uh, so you know, besides technology, one of the other hallmarks of of sci-fi as a genre is um, this, you know, the idea of alien species. Um, What do you expect? Uh, from an alien species that you're going to read about? Like, you know, can they, can they be like humans? Can they be very different? Should they be something we recognize or something unrecognizable? What, what pleases you?
3: Oh, I think what pleases me overall is it's got to be something plausible and feasible enough and consistent. Um, I mean, there's a lot of things we don't know. Like Anne wrote about triple-stranded DNA helixes on Perth. Right. You know, we don't know if that's plausible or not, but she decided to make a world, and she was consistent with it. Actually, one of the things that drives me nuts about David Weber's is that, other than the tree cats, there are no real aliens. Um. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. We have that one. So, well, I mean, there's there, there's the basilisk system. Yeah. But I mean, there's. So I'm kind of like. I, I I'm kind of going, I would hope that we would eventually find other life. Sure. Um, I think I loved AC Crispin's star, uh not Starfleet, um, Star Academy series. Uh-huh. Um, because she had a ton of different aliens. I mean, one of them was literally looked like a blanket. Yeah. Um, but they still all had a drive. I think there needs to be a drive to them, whether we understand how they think or not. Um, I do find it fun to read aliens where I don't necessarily understand how they think it it can be, it can get a little old sometimes, Yeah. but there's gotta be a way to why they think when you watch uh, independence day, like the, as a series, I'm like, well, there's gotta be a, a, a rhyme and reason to why they think. And I understand in a movie, they're probably not going to get into that, but I mm. would love to see that. Sure. Um. So even if it's just, or and we just want to destroy everybody
0: <laughs> so
3: i mean you can get some territorial people um but i think that there's got to be some sort of drive to why they are the way they are and uh deep deep down um one of the greatest turns actually that i read was um iliana andrews is a writing pair, but they do a serial called the innkeeper chronicles. And they have a whole bunch of different kinds of aliens in there and earth. It all take, most of it takes place on earth in the series and there, but it is kind of neat. Cause they put it up a, a segment of a time. And then when they're, they're done with the story, they pull it down, they edit it and put it out as a novella. Um, but they have an alien race that is out to kill in one of the novel novellas that is out to destroy systematically just destroying another one. And nobody knows why. And it's been happening for centuries and it's down to like less than 2000 of this alien race. And I mean, they will literally go to, they will destroy star systems just to kill one of these guys. Um, And there's a big plot twist about why you find out in the novella at the end, why they have been so bent on do, on destroying them and it and it really was really neat because it very much surprised
0: me so
3: cool and I don't want to give it away yeah. yeah yeah that sounds great
0: I mean yeah we, we try to do spoiler free here but uh while're we're, we're talking sci-fi and you uh we've mentioned that you're a, a medical professional so the uh three the famous <laughs> three seashells did you ever figure that out <laughs>
2: <laughs> huh? <laughs> Have you seen Demolition Man?
0: <laughs> the demo-
3: uh no, I haven't seen it yet. I'm horrible at movies.
0: Okay, so in oh, Demolition Man, the uh yeah, is like- the
3: one where he knits? He has like PTSD and he knits, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. They, they okay. brainwashed him while he was asleep, and they taught him knitting as therapy for his criminal behavior.
3: Yes. Uh, I don't – I never really did figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> Why
0: don't you say someone's going to give me the answer? Yeah. Dang it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, jokes aside. So, does your nerd card spread out past the books? You mentioned that your parents are uh are nerds as well and they they did the RPGs. So, are you into RPGs, video games, movies for sci-fi?
3: Uh, I do RPGs. Um I am not as into video games. Uh I think the first time I saw a video game was like 1990. Um we didn't have them in Saudi Arabia, so until then, so like one person had one Um, so I kind of I don't know just never really hit me I will play computer games and I I am very I have to be very cautious because I will go down the rabbit hole and it will it will get scary and I will like look at you and go go away don't touch my keyboard I will hurt you Um, so uh, I was like that while playing um, Icewind Dale and Baldur's Gate and uh, Dragon's Quest dragon's are, age i remember those yeah and uh dungeon keeper dungeon keeper is my all-time favorite game um and i i very much was like that and uh it, it was not nice <laughs> uh, um so my, i actually would get books and games games everybody gets taken away from my mom would have to search my room for the books that i was hiding when i was grounded
0: <laughs> so uh what, what specific RPGs? Uh I
3: grew up on DD. Um I've played the Star Wars game. Uh I like Pathfinder. I've played Mage. Um I even have a signed copy of the Dresden one. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's just been hard for me to uh get a gaming group going, so I haven't played an RPG in a while. Um and when I was stationed at Fort Bliss, our RPG group was super close. They came over every week and depending on who was in the field, which which DM was in the field, depending somewhat on what game, but it was just open format. And I'd be like, the doors are unlocked at at four, game starts at six. I will be ready for you to show up at 5.30. And basically anybody that showed up from four to 5.30 was in danger of being put to work. Um, yeah. peeling potatoes or whatever it was for dinner that I was like, I'm behind on out of my ways. Let me go back in the floor for me. Um, Casey's probably laughing. Cause she's seen where I have done that in fantasy literature to people. Yep. Absolutely. absolutely. Um, but uh, I also have played Warhammer and fantasy. I was sisters of battle and uh, what else for 40 K for fantasy and sisters of battle was 40 K um, I still have a "Let the gala Heresy Begets Retribution" shirt um, that I used to wear around. Um, that was always funny when I wore it on a military post because people <laughs> would really stare at me. I'm not sure if I was serious or not. Um, and I also am a huge food nerd. I love food and all of its greatness. Oh. And um, have been known to make candied bacon and that I've cured the bacon and then candied it and brought it to con and caffeinated chocolate espresso uh, Rice Krispie treats are another one that I'll bring to Dragon Con. So <laughs> yeah,
2: fa- fantasy literature is about to be the most well fed uh, track at Dragon Con. I think. Uh- I think uh, you're going to make the other tracks dre-
0: <laughs> jealous. <laughs> Ooh, it's- um, All right. So, so we actually have uh, had Casey for a limited time. The Air Force likes to take up too much of her time. I'm so we sorry, we're going to let guys. her bow out. And we will continue the last few questions without her. All right. So uh, unfortunately, we lost Casey. She had uh, her Air Force duties. So I think that meant the putter broke or I don't know whatever they do in the Air Force. But uh, speaking of the military, since you are a veteran and you read have have mentioned that you read military science fiction subgenre. Let's talk about it. What's your biggest pet peeve when you read about other futuristic service members fighting the odds and unforgiving voids of space? Obviously, we speak generally here. There's no reason to call anyone out because karma is a thing.
3: Um, I would say, and this was actually, it was, it was a short story somebody handed me and asked me my opinion on, and it, they were a civilian. So, and I think they have since nuked the uh, story, or at least the character, because it was, I kept looking at them and going, an officer wouldn't do that. An officer would not, a, a, a captain of a spaceship would not be reading out the daily news. That that they have better things to do, like sleep, like anything. Um, So I think when they do something so distinctly not military in in a quote-unquote military environment, that there's just no plausibility to it. You know, an E4 special, a specialist is not, okay, we might tell a lieutenant what to do. Um, but there should be repercussions for it. Um, I would say that, you know, a specialist shouldn't tell a general that they made the wrong choice, but I was there when that happened and I did not, and I survived the day. So, um, but you have to be very careful about how things are done. And I think when people forget that there is a rank structure and a plausibility to things that it really breaks it apart for me. If that
0: makes sense. <laughs> it does. That's why I didn't make staff sergeant. Cause the Colonel asked my opinion and I stupidly thought he really wanted my opinion and oops.
3: <laughs> yeah. I, I had a Lieutenant who asked me what I thought of twilight and, um, and it was about the movie and I was not a big fan of the movie. Um, apparently it very much upset her, but, um, I, I'm, I'm forever sorry that I upset her to this day as much as it did, mostly because I think that's why I didn't go to the promotion board for a good while after that. Um, but sorry, I had somebody who wanted to poke me, I guess, on Facebook, um, which I failed to realize was open. But, you know, I mean, you have to have something at, you know, officers in high heels, that would drive me nuts. Luckily, I don't think I've seen that. But um, there has to be a plausibility about some of it, even though with the tech changes there's still an attitude to it. Um Kevin Steverson has a great character that I loved because he really hit on the entire enlisted, oh, you want to screw me with or you wanna screw me with rules? Well, I'll screw you back harder mentality that I loved. Who did that? Uh Kevin Stevenson. So he does the Fleet series. The uh it's not Fleet, sorry, the Salvage Fleet is the name of the most recent title. But he has, and then he has a character who um, would never fit into a military system. So he just he goes, "You're not that character's not going to fit in a military system." So he's not even going to try and shoehorn that character into it. And he even addresses it in the series. He's like, "You're not going to survive if we try and make this a military esque unit." So, because the character has no ability to uh, be military esque, even so. I think you have to know – you don't have to be in the military to kind of get some of the humor of it. Um, Dave, you don't even have to do the humor. David Weber doesn't do a ton of military humor in his books. But he does have the very much the plausibility and the practicality that goes with being in the service. Okay. Within his Characters. So
0: when you you mentioned the high heels, so I'm going to go there. So what did you think about the miniskirts in Star Trek? Then in the Starfleet, I didn't
3: didn't like that. That bothered me even as a kid. So (laughs) that that always threw me. Um, And I was really, I was, I'm really grateful. By the time they got around to Starfleet being in wars, that they had gotten rid of that because that would have that cringes for me. And that actually is part of why. I have such a hard time watching and people are probably going to hunt me down and like either duct take me to a chair and make me watch it or flog me. And I, I'll stand by it though. I'm not a big fan of the original precisely because the stuff like the, 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 boots and the skirts, they just throw me out of my enjoyment because I'm like, nobody on a ship would wear, why are you, it, it just, <laughs> it, it, it kind of makes me melt and have a little like, practicality i'm going to hurt somebody it's hurting my brain i want to hurt you back mentality on it it I, I don't like it it's what
0: i don't like about the originals all right so following that what about military science fiction done right which author or series um has the best futuristic military
3: those are fighting words oh ooh, um That's how to like cause a, I just went to fantasize. I think that question alone would cause the con to erupt into some very divided lines. Um, I think that the four horsemen universe is really kind of interesting because it, it takes the concept of military as a national national entity because it doesn't really involve armies of countries, but mercenary units. Instead, uh, very neat and different, and I like that because there is a different psychology. I mean, when you're not when you're fighting for pay versus fighting for God and country, and then I really like some of David Weber's stuff. And oh, ooh, I don't know. I feel like I, I feel like I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place on it. Can I just say the defiant? <laughs> No, that's just a ship in Starfleet. Um, So it doesn't count. (laughs) But I don't know. It's really hard to say. Um, I really don't know which one has the best. They all have things that I like one or the other. Um, You know, what I love about the R.M.N. is um, they have so many officers that really truly embody what's right in this esprit de corps that we wish to see in our officers because he doesn't have many enlisted characters that is a bit of a beef that I've argued with that there needs to be more enlisted characters in military sci-fi so anybody out there you can hear me more military characters more enlisted characters because it is a very different world officer versus enlisted and somebody once tried telling me it's because enlisted don't really drive uh, an enlisted character wouldn't really drive the story and I'm like you're kind of full of crap and don't know many enlisted. I'm like, you don't know many enlisted people. That's why.
0: Our, uh, I I wrote a, uh, a military sci-fi story with Winder, the uh, the other co-host, and we actually focused on a corporal, so it could be yeah, done. It
3: it can be done. I think I just think that that person was being lazy and probably didn't know many enlisted. Um. So and I don't even know who they are. They may be listening and I have I, I don't know who they are. They I met them in the throngs of Dragon Con. I don't I really ooh, I don't
0: know. I don't well, know then, about we have some of the worst. But we don't we don't want to do the worst because uh no, the, well I mean, said,
3: but the when they're the worst, like one of the ones that I read that was the worst, it was deliberately designed to be the worst. Just because they were like, this is well it it was actually it's in Jody's series it's not all of them it's just one specific ship that's the worst because it's designed to have the flappish nobles who aren't really supposed to be able to do anything anyways on it but the rest of the military is really great so and the world is really well thought out so the rest of the military is really great um one of my favorites as a fun one to read is strong arm tactics i would say that that really embodies some of the best versatility that should be in the military, in, a, in any good military. Um, if you've read Strong Arm Tactics, you'll understand how why, why and be giggling. And if not, you really need to read it because it's super good. It's super funny. Jodi, um, she's a civilian, but she gets that humor amazingly well. Um, and you end up having a battlefield in an amusement park.
0: Interesting. Yes. All right, so it's we don't really want to put one you, of my favorites. So we don't want to put you on the spot anymore by calling out your <laughs> friends and family. So, so we'll just move on. So, all right, enough shameless bragging about yourself. What are you currently reading in uh, in science fiction?
3: I am currently reading Assassin. I I actually read Hunter and then uh, got yelled at because I hadn't read Assassin. So I'm reading Assassin right now by uh, Casey Zell, who, uh, and then, um, what was it? I just I read Hope is not a strategy. Re- just recently finished that one too, and it was a good. Uh, it's a good anthology. Um, and then um, the it's by Mel Todd. That's on my next to read. It's um, from Badass Publishing, and I can't remember which one. And she has a. Catalan saga. That's really good. It's, it's urban science, it's urban science fiction. So, um, it's set near future. The world is very much the same, but there's, it it actually, when you start reading it, you think that it's going to be fantasy, but it's not. It really is. Um, the main character suddenly for no reason that she understands while working as a cop turns
0: into a cougar. Interesting. Yeah, like it's, a cougar, it's pretty, is it like she's hunting young men to date or no, like, like literally a a cougar? like
3: a like shapeshifter? Um, oh. so yeah, and she has she has no idea or control over why she's just starts doing it. And, um, as I said, the um, I always mispronounce it, and she's gonna yell at me because later the Catalan chron, chron, Chronicles K A Y lid chronicles um and no choice is the first one and each book kind of follows a different character who has they're suddenly not purely human and they don't know why and uh, all i'm going to say on this as a spoiler is it is actually science fiction not fantasy
0: Fair enough. All right. So I actually just finished uh, Ghosts of Empire by Terry Mixon, which I've like literally read six points, uh, six times at this point. But I, I didn't write, I didn't have my blog when I started because I started reading him before I was writing. So I was like, well, I really owe I'm going to do a review. So I'm, I'm rereading his series again, enjoying every minute of it and writing reviews for the blog which, you know, in the show notes you can you can track me down jrhandley.com. Uh and then I'm about to start the last book in the Galaxy's Edge Universe retribution. I've been putting it off cuz I'm almost afraid for it to end, but there are enough follow-on books that I don't have to do that anymore, so I'm going to bite the bullet and of course I'm going to do some short stories so I can get some review for my blog. So I have content cause I've kind of forgotten about it for a while. Oops. oops, <laughs> It happens. So uh, finally we like to remember the science that makes science fiction fun. Uh, since this is your debut episode uh, we decided to go easy on you. Um, so what medical tech would you uh, like to see more from fiction into fact there doc? Uh,
3: nerve innervation. Dealing with nerve pain is horrific. It's, it, it's, it's, There's we really don't have much that can affect certain some levels of nerve pain. Um. So, but also the ability to address, um, not just phantom limbs, but even attaching new limbs. Like that would be great. Um. I know. I I, it was funny a couple years ago. I had I I joked that I faced my one of my worst fears, which was I had carpal tunnel surgery, and I but the thought of not being able to do something with my hands. Had always really scared me, and so doing, being able to reinnervate or give people back their lives after something that has happened, whether it be traumatic or just a, a degenerative nerve condition. I knew a soldier who picked one up in um, when he was in the service, and it's nerve pain and also just improving nerve function. Those kind of things, regenerating limbs would be great.
0: Cool. So uh, I would definitely say um, the Bacta tanks from Star Wars would be a nice cure of diseases that uh, didn't necessarily involve surgery. Uh, failing that, I, I think the Raider implants from Terry Mixon's Empire Bunge Universe, mostly because it's on the mind because I'm reading it. But uh, <laughs> it, it comes with medical nanites. So like, you know, oh, you've got a broken bone. Give me a couple hours. So I could totally dig some medical nanites, which Dragon Dictation software, by the way, people does not like. Um, every time I do that, it changes medical nanites into milking Mennonites for some reason. I don't know. Like maybe that that's where the like word a "holy"
3: great fun short
0: story. Right, like maybe that's where the uh, the etymology of "holy cow" came from. I've said that joke before, so if you've read my uh, my blog or whatever and you've heard it, laugh again, please. I'm begging you. But um, but yeah, so I just it's it's one of those things that the the implants. Oh, another one is the uh, the implants in um, um, the Theogony universe by by Chris Kennedy because that makes you lose weight, and I could totally dig that too. Like exercise, oh, yeah. Get these shots. Who
3: needs exercise, man?
0: Yeah. I, I really like Chris Kennedy's, uh, universe. When he, when he comes back to that, I'll definitely jump back on board. Um, cause it doesn't take itself too seriously and, and I take nothing seriously. So, but, uh, <laughs> as we bring this to a close, Aska, how can listeners find you? What do you care to share?
3: So I am very reachable through, uh, the fantasy literature at dragon con on Facebook. Um, I have a Facebook profile uh, under Seska Small. You can typically find it. And then um, I have a friend who's been pestering me about starting a blog. So I will probably do be doing just that because um, my friend is normally right, even though I try to tell him he's not. Um, so I'm just giving up and letting him win. Um, he So... But those are typically and then I also have a good reads and I'll put the links in the comments so people can see what crazy stuff I've been reading I tend to read a lot so um.
0: all right outstanding we'll uh, we'll get all those in the show notes to your listener and you can you can check her out and stalk her as as you do on the interwebs these days and uh, you can find us on our website at www.sfshenanigans.com. our Twitter is at sF s underscore show sierra foxtrot sierra underscore show our email is podcast at sf shenanigans.com and our facebook group where she is a member and we will be making her an admin uh, facebook.com backslash groups backslash sf shenanigans Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Chris Winder and Saskia Smalls, I'm J.R. Hanley, and this was the Sci-Fi Shenanigans Podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of space and all things that go boom. All right. Thank you for sticking with us through that uh, archived episode that was in the... Uh, in the digital memory hole that we found we thought you'd enjoy it so thank you for spending some of your precious time with us for nick garber and doc seska i am J.R. hanley and this was the archive for the blasters and blades podcast we'll be back at our regular scheduled time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture cheesy jokes and all things that go boom